Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Whatever comes up in life, to have the Lord Jesus Christ there by us, the Lord Jesus Christ as our coach and the Holy Spirit as our quarterback. So we're confident of one thing, one thing described here in this fabulous passage. If God is for us, the truth is being on God's side means no evil has power over you. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young shares an encouraging message called, Who Can Be Against Us? It's all about the victory you already have over evil because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's coming up next. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Who Can Be Against Us? I want to ask everybody a very personal question. How many of you, in light of public and private education by and large today, are concerned, genuinely concerned, about gender dysphoria, about the whole backward way in which we're educating our children through the critical race theory, we're introducing prejudice in a way I never thought we'd return to. But we could go through a litany of concerns about the curriculum of our school, about those who are leading in our schools because so many of them have graduated from colleges and universities that built in a secular view of life. So how many of you join me, and we could have a long list here, of deep concern about the LGBTQ agenda is being adopted, and on and on we could go. How many of you are sincerely concerned? I want you to lift your hand right now and hold it up. If you are sincerely concerned, as your hand indicates it, by it being lifted right now, you say, well, what can I do? We can pray. But the main thing we can do right now is vote if your hand is sincere. God bless you. This is a transitional time and a challenging time in our history. Don't forget those uplifted hands, and let's follow through as we elect people who share the basic values of America and the foundation upon which we now stand, and that will be a first step, a first step in reviving our land the United States of America. One nation under God, 
not many nations under the government, under the state. That's the challenge that we have. If you've been around here, you know we've been studying Romans chapter 8. We've called it the GOAT chapter of the Bible, the greatest of all time, because I think it is a powerful chapter, and we could debate about it, but I think it encompasses so much of who we are as Christians. And through these many weeks, I thought about it. I said, you know, when we get through with Romans 8, how many of us, or will I remember all the scripture, the highlights, the lowlights as we went through Romans 8? Will I remember those? And then I thought about Psalm 119. And 119, when I used to read through the Psalms, a, a chapter a day, 30 days, you read through the Psalms. When I got to 119, my, 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 it's the longest chapter in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, 176 verses. It takes a while. It seems like when I was reading a, a chapter a day in Psalms during different times of quiet time, I'd get to 119. That'd be the very day I had a busy schedule, and I didn't think I had time to read 176 verses. But in those 176 verses, verse number 11 is indeed interesting. It says, your word, God's word, I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So this means that in the Bible, there are scriptures, there are words of God in this operating manual that we need to have hidden in our heart, they need to be treasured within us so we can call upon them in every kind of situation of life. And I thought about what are those words in Romans chapter number eight that we've already studied, those who've been around here. And, and I just marked those verses that stood out for me. And the verses I marked were verse one of eight, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we're burdened and down and think we've lost all relationship with God as Christians, we need to be awakened to the fact there's no condemnation. And then verse 11 I've marked as one we need to hide in our hearts. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, when we're down, right now, our mortal bodies, that verse says, hey, we've got the resurrected power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That will lift us up, verse 11. And then I moved over to verse 15. That's a verse we need. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we can cry out, Abba, Dad, Father, to know we have an intimate relationship with God. Boy, I marked that verse. Then I jumped over to verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And I said, I need that verse. And then verse 31 that we will bump into today and develop more fully. 
So you take those verses, you may pick out others and mark them down and say, you know, those are some of the verses we studied exegetically and rather thoroughly as we went through Romans 8, and I want to have them available, available to me all through my life. As we go back to our scripture, that was the verse we ended up with last time we gathered, but I want to sort of bring us in an overview here of the whole book of Romans. It's interesting that Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3 is primarily saying everybody's a sinner. Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, nobody's going to make it and have a relationship with God. You can't keep the law. You can't practice all the rituals. You're not going to make it. Nobody's going to make it. And you have three chapters in Romans saying exactly that to sum it up. And then you come to the end of chapter 3. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the low moment in all the study of Romans. That's the bottom. That's the pit. And Paul is saying that's where we all are. I want you to look at it in chapter number 3 of Romans. And I'm going to read what that pit sounds like. He says, what then? In fact, we're all losers. We're not going to make it. That's verse 9, chapter 3. Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews, Gentiles, Greek, everybody are all under sin. Can't do business with God under sin. We know that. And then he describes what it is like. He said, there's none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of ash is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God in their eyes. There's no worship. That is the very bottom of life, and that is a low point in the book of Romans. And from that third chapter, Paul begins to build his case. He begins to show how all of this fails and why it fails. He begins to build with a little crescendo. And he goes and says, how do we know this is true? And then he gives, for some, a big word, and we've unpacked those words. And he says, very simply, let me tell you what. This is what God has done for us. He has foreknown us. That means before time, before the foundation of the world, he planned you out. He planned me out. Your DNA, your soul, your uniqueness has never been before and never will be again. He says you are foreknown. He says you are predestined. To say it simply, that means that God has a plan for every life. And if you and I do not get in on that plan, wherever we are, whatever that plan is, there'll be a hole left in civilization that you and I could have filled. 
So we were foreknown, we're predestined, and we're called. And we have in us the ability to make a decision, a free moral agent. We have free will. And when the call of God comes, we can say yes, or we can say no. And therefore, we respond to the call of God. He says, then we are justified. We got things settled with God and settled with ourselves and settled with our fellow man. That is provision he has made. And in justification, there's implication of sanctification, and that's where we are to grow up and mature in the Lord. And then the last word said, we'll be glorified. And glorification is in the present tense. It's already assumed that's where we're going. And then he gives that powerful 31st verse. If God is for us, and he develops this, you say, well, that's good biblical stuff, but how do we know that is true? He tells us. Look at it there in verse 31 following. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over to us all, now, follow me there. What's the greatest need we have? What's the greatest need everybody needs? That is a need to deal with the garbage and trash, the sin in our life, and to be forgiven. And we know we said it in, in Colossians, we're forgiven. In Hebrews, God forgets everything we've ever done. So let me say for the humpteenth time, if that is a word, that when we turn from our sin, Jesus Christ, if we're in Christ, forgives our sin. And then on top of that, he can do something we can't do. He forgets our sin. So quit bringing up all the old sin in your life. Would you do that before God? It's done. It's settled. That's what he's saying here. That's the reason we have that promise. How do we know that he's on our side, that who can be against us? He did not spare his own son. He said, Will he not also with him freely give us all things? We know that all things work together, all things. And then God in Christ will give us all things. How does that work? Do fathers love to give good gifts to their children? Isn't that something? Once in a while you, you give gifts, and once in a while, bang! You knock a home run, that's a thrilling. How much more our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts for you and for me. The idea that he is reticent to do that? Let's just say, for example, that uh, here are two brothers. They're both having a tough time. And one brother gets out of a clear blue sky, a distant uncle that he never met. One brother is left 90 million dollars right out of the sky <laughs> he is stunned but his brother whom he loves is struggling he lost his job his car was busted he had no wheels so this brother who'd inherited bam 90 million says you know i'm going to right up front buy my brother a brand new car and he went down and bought a uh, $80,000 car for his brother. Now he could go at least find jobs and work in that new car. And so he, he says, I'm buying the car, and he purchased it. And when he got home, the dealer called and said, by the way, 
there's some more bells and whistles that could be available on that card. It's another $800. If you'd like to, we'll put those on. What do you think that brother will do? What do you think? I think, guarantee you, he said, man, put all the bells and whistles. $800 is nothing after I've spent these thousands of dollars. Put them on. That's what's happening here, folks. If God has so blessed us and given us his own son, who took care of the biggest problem you and I have when he gave and delivered Jesus to us, and Jesus took the penalty that you and I deserve, is it not logical that all the other things that we need and maybe some things that we want, he'll pour into your life and into my life? Absolutely, it's right. So we see that if God is for you, And then we see the next promise that we have here under the same heading. It says, verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect, God's Christians? God is the one who justifies. Now, who can be against us? Nobody. Now, who can bring a charge against us? The answer to that is nobody because God has justified us. God, as the judge, has already pronounced us innocent on the basis of the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for you and delivered up for me, and now nobody can charge us. How can they charge us when the verdict is already in? This is a law court. This is an argument that is being forgiven. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Very simply, who can be against us? Who can charge us? Absolutely, because God himself has justified us. Some people have the idea that God is reluctant in justifying us. You know, God, you know, to make it right with him, he's reluctant to do that. And, And you can read in Luke chapter number 18, a parable of Jesus. This is a parable of a judge who is crooked, and doesn't care a hoot about people. Doesn't care about, a crooked judge has no compassion for people, and there is a widow woman who is being oppressed illegally by an enemy, and the only way she can get any answer is for the judge to stand before the enemy and make things right. So she goes before the judge, poor, no influence, but the judge, he's crooked. He doesn't care about anybody, and he throws her out of the court. She comes back again. The judge throws her out of the court. And then finally, 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 she said, you know, the only answer I have is the judge to do the right thing. She begins to pester him, another theological word. Jesus says she shows up at his door when he leaves, presents her case. He goes out to eat, she presents her case. He goes to work in the court, she presents her case. And she does this over and over and over and over again until finally the judge says, do something with this woman. She's driving me crazy. Take care of her problem. Now, you've heard this taught illegitimately. People have said, trying to understand this parable, well, God is the judge. 
And to get through to God, you've got to pester him and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray to get him to relinquish because he's tired of hearing from you. That's been interpreted like that. That's not what this parable teaches. It teaches that God is totally unlike this crooked, uncaring judge. God is a judge who loves, who wants the best for all of his children, who can say Abba to him, and therefore he is on their side, and he is always open and available to listen to our deepest needs and wants. You see, that's what that teaches. And therefore, who can charge us? Nobody, because God has already pronounced us innocent. Then the question is asked, who can condemn us? Well, you say, you know, other people condemn us. We know who can condemn us. He says, but who is the one who condemns us? Verse 34, Jesus Christ is the one who died, was, was rather one who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. What is that all about? Jesus died, raised from the dead. He intercedes for us at the right hand of God. Here you have in this courtroom legal environment, you have two law offices. You have one heavenly office and we have one earthly office. In the heavenly office, there is Jesus who is there at the right hand of the Father and Jesus, as he called himself, is our advocate. We have an advocate in heaven. And the Holy Spirit, who is in the law office down on this earth, he is our counselor. He's called our counselor. So we have an advocate in heaven, and we have a counselor on earth, Jesus in heaven, the Holy Spirit on earth, and therefore, who in the world can condemn us? The judge has already decided the case. So, if God is for us, who can challenge us? Who can condemn us? Who can bring charges against us? And then we come to the last thing. It's even better, and I'll not totally develop this. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And a long list is there. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tell us, choir. So what we have built here as members of God's family is an overwhelming case that nothing, nobody can separate you and me from God. Nobody, nothing can improve on God. Let me tell you something. If we're on God's team, well, how do you get on God's team? Oh, I want to be on God's team. It's very easy. Paul said, take off your old uniform, your old self, and put on your new uniform, the self of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is at the center of our lives and controls our thoughts and our destiny. We take off the old, we put on the new, we're on a new team. Well, what's this new team we're on? I can tell you, God owns the team. Jesus Christ is the coach. The Holy Spirit is the quarterback. And we have to just live out our lives on that team to know that we're on God's team, to use our gifts and to function on that God's team. And while we're on God's team, we are bulletproof because can touch us, can touch us. Is that great 
biblical assurance for us. It happened at Texas Tech. A student was taking his final exam in logic. He had a tough time with logic. How many have ever taken a course in logic? Lift your hand. You have my deepest sympathy. <laughs> for most of us, it's a challenge. And for this student at Texas Tech, it was a big challenge. He was a graduating senior, but he had to pass his final exam on logic. He'd studied, he'd worked, but he just did not get so many intricacies of that discipline. But the professor said, for this test, I'm going to let everybody in the class get an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and every, anything you can put on that paper, you can use it as you take this test. You got that? You can imagine... <laughs> You write fine all over that paper. You could hardly see any, any white on that paper. You'd write everything because he said anything you put on this paper, you can use as you take this final exam in logic. So all the students came in, and this one student came in, and he took that eight and a half by 11 paper and put it down by his desk, and in walked another young man who was getting his PhD in logic, graduate student, and came and stood on that paper. <laughs> so as he was taking the test, anything he didn't understand, there he was standing on that paper. He would answer and help him. In fact, that student was the only one who made an A. <laughs> Professor said, where in the world did you get that idea? And the student said, logic? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the logicalness of God. How in divine logic he has provided a way for you and I in whatever comes up in life, to have the Lord Jesus Christ there by us, the Lord Jesus Christ as our coach and the Holy Spirit as our quarterback. So we're confident of one thing, one thing described here in this fabulous passage. If God is for us, you've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Dr. Young, you've shared about how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What does that mean practically, and what comfort should we take from that truth? Well, Jesus Christ took all of our condemnation upon himself upon the cross. When he died on that cross, God supernaturally provided that he paid all the price for all of your trash and all of my trash and all of our phoniness and all of our garbage. He paid the price 
as I called it, the divine garbage collector, so that you and I might be free and we might be right with God and have a chance to be right with ourselves and right with this world. That's the supernatural moment of the substitution of Christ. He took the penalty we deserve so we can live the life that he certainly lives and does deserve. That's a supernatural transaction that changes you and everyone who takes this formula of receiving Christ, they too will be a part of changing the world. And one more thing, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is our helper? When we receive Jesus Christ, we we confess sin, turn from sin, invite Jesus Christ to come into our life. He does not physically and bodily come into our life, but the Holy Spirit comes into our life, the third person of the Trinity. And it is the Holy Spirit in you and in me as a Christian that enables us to live the Christian life. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that is our helper in every moment of extremity and in every moment of blessing. It is the Holy Spirit. I pray every morning and every night, dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm in Christ. Fill me with your Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's primary function is not to exalt the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's primary function in the third person of the Trinity is to exalt Jesus Christ in your life and in my life, and we exalt him in the world empowered by the Holy Spirit. All right. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We hope today's message has encouraged you to build your life on the proven truth of God's Word. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.